Acts chapter 2. If you read much in your Bible in, in the book of Acts early on, uh, very early on, it's, it's a terribly dark time because it was not long at all after Jesus Christ had been put to death. And there was a constant desire among the people uh, for bloodshed. The people were in no mood to endure followers of Jesus. You have to remember that only a little over 500 people saw Jesus after he was resurrected from the dead. And so the majority of the people didn't even really believe. And so if you think much about today, it seems like history seems to be repeating itself in the day that we live in because we also find ourselves living in a society that just seems like it's growing darker by the day. Would anybody agree with that? We find ourselves living in a world that's growing darker by the day, but yet we see in Acts that God found this group of 120 people. They were ordinary people, whether you realize it or not, just like you and me. 120 ordinary people who just simply said, Lord, I want to make a difference in this dark time that I'm living in. I want to make a difference in this world. And they believed that despite their insufficiencies, that God had promised them power to be a testimony on this earth to other people. And so what did we find them doing? They gathered together and they began to pray. If you'll stand with me all over the room this morning, we're just going to read one verse of Scripture. Later on, we'll finish this passage. But we're just going to read Acts 2 and 1 this morning. And this foretells of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Word said, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, say all, all with one accord and in one place. You see, just as the disciples in the book of Acts we must be found in the church with one accord. Somebody say amen. Walking in unity with God and his people. And I believe that once again, God is looking for some people who believe their lives can make a difference in pushing back the darkness in this world. That's what I want to preach to you for a few moments on this morning. Pushing back the darkness, if you will. Pray with me and for me. Father, we just love you today. We praise you and thank you for your presence that we've already felt here in the worship. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I know that every time, I don't take for granted that every time we assemble ourselves together in this building, there are people that are sitting here that have needs in their lives. And so, God, I'm asking you to speak to and minister to those needs today. Don't let me speak with my words or the enticing words of men's wisdom, but let your word come forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. Touch hearts and change lives, God, as only you can do, and we'll give you all the glory, for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, Elizabeth. Now, the history of man's relationship with God began with perfect unity because early on in the book of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve the Bible tells us that he would come down to the garden of Eden and he would walk with them in the cool of the day now God set boundaries and Adam and Eve walked inside of those boundaries and as long as they did there was fellowship between God and man 
However, God had a sworn enemy, Satan, who hated the fact that he was exalted less than God. Satan was the worship leader in heaven. If you've ever wondered why the devil fights so hard in the category of music, because how many knows there's some music out there that children of God should not be listening to? I'm not going to preach to you about every strand of secular music. There's also some, some just some good music that, that you can listen to that's clean and that's okay. But there's some music that children of God should not be listening to. And that's what the enemy has always used. It's one of the greatest things that he'll use inside of a church is the music to cause dissension and division. And he hated the fact that he was exalted less than God. He wanted to be exalted above God. And he was described in Genesis 3 and 1 as a cunning serpent. And Satan not only hates God, but he also hates mankind. Because mankind, you and I, were created in God's image. And because he hates God, he also hates us. And Jesus himself said in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that this thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that was his mission in the Garden of Eden all the way back then. But that is also his same mission today. And in order to accomplish his purpose, Satan knew that he had to begin by breaking that bond of unity between God and man. If he could break that bond of unity between God and man, he could get in and he could get a foothold. And he, he, therefore he convinced Adam and Eve that they could ignore the boundaries that God had set and instead determine by themselves what standard of right and wrong were acceptable. That's why the enemy, the serpent, said to Eve, Do you really believe that God said this. He wanted to convince them that they themselves could determine the standards of right and wrong and what was acceptable. And I believe it's the same way in the world that we live in today. There is a cunningness and a craftiness that has slipped in to the house of God and continues to dwell among God's people who wants to question, is that really wrong? Did God really say you can't do this? Did God really say you can't do that? And with its cunningness and craftiness it has convinced multitudes of people that they can decide for themselves what the boundaries are. They can decide for themselves what is sin and what is not sin. But can I tell you, you never have the right. Let me repeat that again. You never have the right to try to reestablish a boundary that is already defined in the word of God the God that we serve is the same yesterday he's the same today and if he should tarry his coming he'll be the same when my great 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 grandchildren are dwelling on this earth whatever is clearly defined in the word of God is the word of God you cannot change it you cannot alter it and you cannot mold it to suit your needs somebody say amen so I want us to take a moment to look at the consequences of the time which still are impacting us today. You see, when mankind sinned and they broke unity with God, the first thing that they realized in Genesis chapter 
3 and verse 7, the first thing that they realized were naked. They were naked. They realized their nakedness. I'm glad everybody sent their children to children's church this morning because I'm going, I'm going to say something to us that's truth this morning. The preoccupation with nakedness was introduced and by extension this was the or, or, original origin, if you will, of sexual sin. And it has plagued every generation from the garden until now. This preoccupation with nakedness has spawned a multi-billion dollar industry, hello, called pornography, and it is all rooted in separation from God. I have actually had married men tell me before, I'm married so it's okay if I look at pornography. I want to tell you that pornography is sexual sin. I don't care who you are or how long you've been married. A preoccupation with nakedness is a sexual sin. And you cannot say that because I'm married, because I have a wife, that it's okay for us to watch this together. I'm going to say it again. Pornography is sin. Somebody say amen. But we live in a day in the church even when the cunningness and the craftiness has made it acceptable. And many people have the attitude that, well, what I do in my own home is my own business. But can I tell you that just because we don't see you doesn't mean that God doesn't see you. And in the very next chapter of Genesis, we see the introduction of envy, hatred, and murder. That's the very next thing we see in the book of Genesis. Because Adam and Eve had two sons. Everybody knows the story. Cain and Abel who brought sacrifices to the Lord, but only Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. And because of this, Cain's heart was just soothed with envy and hatred. And it ultimately led him to murder his own brother. And when the Lord, when God himself came to him and asked, Where is your brother? He nonchalantly replied in Genesis 4 and 9, How should I know? Am I my brother's keeper? How, why would I know that? And so here we see another consequence of separation from God. It leads mankind to commit murder without conscience. It leads mankind to do the unthinkable, but yet justify it in their own mind. Well, I read another passage of Scripture. It's really going to get quiet now. That tells us the power of life and death is in the... James said, this is the most unruly, evil part of your body. And I'm afraid that we have come to a place in the church age in which we live where we feel like sometimes... We are justified to take our tongue and curse somebody else. I'm not talking about curse words. I'm talking about speaking evil against them and curse somebody else. But then again, I read another passage of Scripture that says blessing and cursing can't come from the same mouth. It can't come from the same tongue. And so we 
get to this place where our conscience doesn't even bother us anymore when we murder our brother with our tongue or our sister without a cause. And so when the religious crowd around Jesus claimed to be the children of Abraham, here's what he said to them in John 8 and 44. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, all the way back to Cain, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. In other words, he's saying, you want your own rules. You want your own boundaries. You want your own way, and you will even kill to get it. See, that's exactly what happened. And eventually, later on, they even killed the Son of God in the name of religion. Do you realize that? When they killed him, they were justifying it of their own accord, saying that they were killing him in the name of religion for even saying that he was the Son of God. And it was the beginning of mankind wanting his own way all the way back then, even to the point of taking the life of anyone who got in the way of those objectives. And I want to ask you, is there a more glaring example today than the recent abortion law that was passed in New York State this past January. It's going to get real quiet now. Not only was the law passed, how many remembers that back in January? It's not even been a year yet. Not only was the law passed, but I began to think about that this week because I'm going to tell you what I read across in Leviticus chapter 18 here in just a few moments. That I began to think about when the was not only was the law passed, but we saw that there were state legislators who were literally patting each other on the back and smiling as they signed into effect a law permitting the slaughter of innocent, unborn, and partially born children. And in many cases, I want to tell you, in many cases, it's a license to murder for the sake of convenience. Hello. But we read God's warning in the Old Testament about the abomination of the nations. I don't know if you've read, but look it up and read in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 21 about a pagan god by the name of Molech. And this pagan god was the, was the god whom people would sacrifice their own children before this god. I want to ask you, what makes us any different in this generation today? What makes us any different when we stand by? Somebody says, oh, preacher, you don't need to get political. You don't need to get uh, all of those things. You don't need to get that riled up in the church. I want to tell you something this morning, and I'm going to say it regardless of who likes it and who don't. If you can, if you can support somebody that is not pro-life and, and you are a child of God, you better go back and revisit your roots. You better search the Word of God. You better find yourself a prayer closet and you better get in it and pray till you've prayed through and not too far down the road as the earth was repopulated after the great flood we see humanity was still on its own quest to be as God and the people said in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4 and they said come let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. 
lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. So we find here that they began to build a tower. The Tower of Babel, as it was known. They began to build this tower to prove that the whole, to the whole world that they could reach the heavens by their own strength. But if you read the story, you find out that what happened was the Lord came down, He confused their speech, and He scattered them abroad. And here we see the introduction of yet another consequence of disunity with God. A level of division among the people so severe that they could no longer even communicate with each other. Now look, just take a look at our society today. Envy, hatred, murder, evil speech, and lying have become the order of the day. They've just become the way to do things. There's a division in our society on almost every single level. In my 43 years, I have never seen our country more politically divided than it is today. There's a division on almost every single level. And I don't think that anybody can suggest that there is really any kind of effective ability to communicate anymore. Some people, I mean, whatever happened to being able to just agree to disagree? Respectfully. But people can't do that anymore. And so the question arises... What can you and I do to push back the darkness of this day that we find ourselves living in? What can we do? First of all, now that we recognize disunity with God is the root of the problem, we must recognize that the cross is God's invitation for His people to return to Him. We must realize that, you see, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Mankind lost access to the favor, the promise, the hope, and the life of God. However, it was not a coincidence that Jesus was crucified on a tree. Adam and Eve partook of the tree of life, which destroyed uh, being able to live in perfection for mankind. And, but yet when Jesus came, he gave his life on what? A tree. It wasn't a coincidence that he was crucified on a tree because the cross is the tree of life redefined. The cross is the tree of life regained. The cross is the way back, the way back to unity with God. And now, because of the cross, and I'm so thankful for this, everybody who wants to come to Jesus can. Everybody who wants to ask for forgiveness can be freed and forgiven and cleansed from all sin, regardless of what it is. Everybody that still has a preoccupation with nakedness, everybody who is envious, everybody who has committed 
murder, everybody who has cheated, lied, stolen, everybody that is full of double-mindedness that will step over top of other people for personal advantage, whatever sin might be settled in our hearts, everybody who wants to get to Jesus can get there. Oh, I'm so thankful this morning I don't have to enter into a booth somewhere and pull a curtain back and tell some earthly man all the wrong that I've done because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. I can enter into the Holy of Holies and I can call upon Him and He answers me because of the cross. Hallelujah. See, there's a covering for sin and for shame for everybody who's willing to live God's way. He offers us mercy. He offers us hope for the future. And He offers us a life filled with purpose. See, this means that you and I can go to the cross and we can say, God, I don't have the love that I need for this generation. I think if we're missing anything in the church today, we're missing compassion for people who need God. We've come to the place where, I might as well just say it, if they don't sing my song, if they don't sing my style, if, do they sing off the wall or out of the hymnal? What, now what about your church? Does it look like Hollywood? What do you mean does it look like Hollywood? Do they dim the lights and have colored lights on the stage? Oh Lord, I guess we're Hollywood. What does it matter? Whether we sing with the lights on or we dim the lights. What does it matter whether we sing old songs or whether we sing new? Oh, I know I struck a nerve right there. What does it really matter? As long as the lyrics edify and as long as they glorify God and edify the body, what does it matter if it's fast or slow? What does it matter if it's old or new? What does it matter if we use a screen or if we sing out of a hymnal? What does it really matter? We've come to the place in the church where we're so consumed with doing everything our way, everybody looking the way we want them to look, everybody acting the way we want them to act, everybody doing exactly what we want them to do, that we have missed the point of what Jesus Christ placed us on this earth to do. And that is why I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's churches are like basket robins. There's 31 flavors of ice cream, maybe even more right in our very city. So if somebody decides they don't like your flavor, they just go on down the road somewhere else. Well, I came to tell you this morning, God did not call you to like a certain flavor. God did not place you in a church so that you could decide when and if you go and what you do. God has called you to be a light in the darkness. God has called you to have compassion for the lost. And God has called you to win our city to the kingdom of God that's what he's called us to do and we can go to the cross and we can say God I don't have the love that I need for this generation because on the cross captivity was taken captive Ephesians 4 and 8 tells us 
that gifts were given to men. What God is saying is walk in unity with me and partake of me for I have all the love you'll ever need to reach the unlovable and to make a difference in your time. God is looking for some people who truly desire to be difference makers in the world that we live in. Making a difference for the kingdom of God. And secondly, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, when the people, I want to show you something. When the people built the tower, the Tower of Babel, they lost their ability to communicate and relate with one another. But I want you to watch what happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll read verse 12. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all, say all, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, unity, and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Verse 12, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? You see, when the disciples finally realized that it was not by might, nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit, suddenly God came and He filled the whole house. But what was the immediate fruit when He did that? You see, what had been lost at the Tower of Babel, the ability to communicate with people who are not exactly like you, I'm about to preach right now, the ability to communicate with those people was lost at the Tower of Babel. But what was lost at the Tower of Babel was regained when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. The disciples then were able to step out into the marketplace and now they had the ability to communicate once again with people who didn't think like they thought, with people who didn't exactly speak like they spoke, but they were able to communicate once again with those people. And Peter stood up and he boldly proclaimed the gospel to the crowd. In verse 37, we read that now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then Peter said to them repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for
for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying be saved from this perverse generation and then those who gladly received his word were baptized and listen to this and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them you see at least 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God you see the 120 disciples that were brought out of the natural into the supernatural why? because they went back to a place of prayer I talked about it last week at 845 because they went back to a place of prayer and when they went back to a place of prayer they came back to a place of unity with God and when they came back to a place of unity with God they automatically started living within the boundaries that God had set what are you saying pastor I'm saying we don't need somebody that tells everybody what to do we don't need somebody being the Holy Ghost police we don't need somebody being uh, somebody that tells everybody all the wrong that they're doing what we need to do ourselves is get in our prayer closet get back to unity with God get in the presence of God let the presence of God fill our house fall among our midst and when it does people automatically fall within the boundaries of what the word of God says because the spirit of God and the word of God never contradict each other hallelujah hallelujah they were back within the boundaries that God had set and as a result their hearts were enlarged their mouths were opened and they started to speak in a way that they had never spoken before this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord you see when unity with God returns suddenly you find yourself with the divine ability to speak to people you were never able to speak to before you find yourself in foreign fields in places and in neighborhoods that you're not familiar with communicating by the power of God suddenly people around you will be staring in wonder and asking where did you get the power to do this I'll never forget the day that I led John Boyd to the Lord in the locker room at the Corbin Wellness Center talking about a man that every day when he came in he had the most foul language you've ever heard now John is still trying to serve the Lord but if you didn't know we need to we need to be praying for him I've given requests in on Wednesday nights but John has been in the hospital at Lake Cumberland in very very serious condition may possibly even be going to a nursing home from there they don't know yet but I'll never forget when he began to talk one day and the Lord just placed it on my heart begin to witness to him I thought Lord have mercy you want me to witness to this guy but because there was unity with God God gave me the ability to communicate with him and because I was able to communicate with him he listened he received what I said and then to my surprise as I told him, I said, now, John, I want you to think about that. I want you to come to church with me sometime. I said, no, you don't have to come to church, John, to be saved. You can get saved at home. If you think about that and you, you want to start praying, I was just talking, talking, talking. You know what John said? 
can we just pray right now? I said, sure, we can pray right now. So we got down on our knees at the bench in the locker room. And John Boyd cried out to God with men coming in and out, looking over, wondering what's going on. And John, with tears rolling down his face, repenting and giving his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. And I was able to baptize him in this church. Why? When we have unity with God, God will give us the ability to communicate that people will stand back and say, there was another guy. Now, some thought I was a fruitcake, I'm sure. Some thought that John was a fruitcake, I know. But then there was others that came to me later that said, Sean, that was awesome. I walked in and you were leading somebody to the Lord at the bench. And, and they, how, how on earth did you have the boldness to do that? I said, God just opened the door. But when you have unity with God, suddenly people will be around you staring in wonder. And they'll be asking, where would you get the power to do this? Why are, you telling, why are you telling us that, Pastor? Because I want you to understand something. You can make a difference. You can make a difference in this world. It's amazing to think that not only were 3,000 added to the kingdom that day, but we read that even the mighty Rome bowed her knees to Jesus Christ. It was all because the hand of God was upon 120 ordinary people who decided to come back to a place of unity with Him and with one another. And this is why I believe that the godless ideologies, if you will, of the day that we are living in can also be brought back to a place of surrender to Jesus Christ. But it depends on you and me and what we choose to do. We all have a vital part in this, if they'll come to the music this morning. Listen to me, church. I don't want you to be sold short of what God has for you. He's promised us in His Word eternal and abundant life. And I believe it is time for us to pray, Lord, let me make a difference. For too long in the church, we have looked to leaders to make a difference. But it's time that we pray, Lord, let me make a difference. Don't let me be a mediocre player in this incredible divine moment in history that you have allowed me to live in. God, I want to walk in unity with you and with your people. I want to walk within your boundaries. I don't want to try to set my thoughts above your thoughts. I don't want to try to figure you out. But I do want my life to be so full of your love, so full of your mercy, and so full of your miracle-working power that it will push back the darkness. If you'll stand with me all over the house today. I believe this morning that God is looking for some people who are willing to be the light that pushes back the darkness. Just like this guy in this picture. Pushing the doors back. 
so the light can penetrate through. God's looking for some people who are willing to do that in the day that we're living in. So I have a question for us all today. Can He count on you? Or would you rather just blend in with the rest of the crowd? Will you make yourself available to Him to be used for His glory? Will you make the decision to return to the place of prayer and faithfully remain there until you're endued with difference-making power? I believe that God's willing if we are. He's willing if we are. God, help us to be a church, to be a people that is actively pushing back the darkness and penetrating the world around us with your light. Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you desire to do something within us greater than ourselves. So, God, I pray today that as we open this altar and as we spend a few moments in prayer with you today, God, I pray that there would be many, whether at their seat or in this altar, God, that would kneel and they would say, God, I want to be a difference maker. Would you use me to push back the darkness in this society?